forever. Dog. Hey everyone, you're listening to the Writers Panel podcast. Thank you for listening. I appreciate it. On this podcast, we talk about the business and process of writing mostly television with mostly television writers. My name is Ben Blacker. I'm the creator and host of this show. I myself am a television writer and a writer of other things. You may have seen my name on Supernatural, on Puss in Boots, as well as some other series. Most recently, you can find the Audible original series Cut and Run, which my writing partner and I have written. It's about the relationship woes of best friends who happen to be kidney thieves. It's available at audible.com slash cut and run. Thank you for listening to the show. If you enjoy the show, please leave a review on iTunes. That's always very helpful for us. Also, please follow me on Twitter at Ben Blacker, like the color, only more so. And let me know who else you would like to see on this show. What are you watching on television? What's getting you excited or inspired? And we'll try to get those creators or at least someone from the show to talk about TV. Because that's what they we love write, to talk about. They talk, Here's the theme. And talk about what they write. Tune in tonight or whenever the time is right. It's the Writer's Panel with Ben Blacker. Thank you guys for having us here at the Breaking Bad offices. We're here with all of the writers. Um, Why don't we just kind of go around and you guys can introduce yourselves so the listeners know what your voices sound like. Yeah, starting. Hey, I'm Moira Wally Beckett. I'm Peter Gould. Uh, Commodore Tom Schnauz. Oh, tell us also, Jenny, before you go, uh, Maura, let's go back to you. Just tell us uh, with what episode you were credited uh, this this half season. This half season? The finale. The season finale. And, yeah, I I wrote episode three, Hazard Day. Say my name. Commodore Tom. (laughs) (laughs) Also, it's important to know that I watch you while you shower. (laughs) Can I not sit next to Tom? Uh, (laughs) Jennifer Hutchison, and I wrote Buyout. Uh, Vince Gilligan, and I wrote um, the first two. What were they called? <laughs> Madrigal. Madrigal. Free or live, die. live free or die. Yeah. George Masters, uh, Dead Freight. <laughs> we don't really think that, George. What were we going to call it? What were we going to call George it? Oh, Dark Territory. Sam Catlin, I wrote 51. Yeah, please introduce yourself. Sure. Uh, I'm Gordon Smith, and I'm the writer's assistant. <laughs> Most important man in the room. <laughs> the only one who knows anything. And thank you for transcribing this as we go. I appreciate it. Um, again, thank you guys for, for being here and, and bringing us in. Uh, let's, let's jump in. You know, uh, I'm going to ask you to kind of reach back in your memories to last season um, and where you were at the end of it as far as discussions about what this fifth season would bring uh, and the kinds of catch-up you had to do and the kinds of discussions that were going on in the room as far as where to enter this new season. Um, I assume you all had a little break in between the season? What, uh, how much of a break did we have? What, what was it? Not enough. It's literally all a blur. <laughs> the last season we had like a year and a half. Yeah, no, yeah. Was, that was a long break. For me, I mean, I was the last one out of Albuquerque on, on the season finale, and it wound up being about a month with our premiere at Comic-Con thrown in in the middle. This is the season before. Yeah. Talking yeah. about the previous season, between four and five. Forever. Can you th- it was you, like seven months. Well, no, but you, Moira, Moira's, you, Moira had also was 
doing a lot I, of other jobs. I too. was being a, a whore for money. <laughs> I, it's true. Why did you want to discuss that now? <laughs> so what uh, what show you run? I, I was on. A, I wrote on a network show, <laughs> and I'm sorry. Okay. How will they um, be able to find out? Uh, I know. They'll never be able to look this up on IMDb. <laughs> <Yeah>. Right. <laughs> but I think, did we break for six months, seven months? It was about eight or nine months. Oh, it was? Oh, okay. How can Dang. that be true? I didn't have eight or nine months. <laughs> That's That's because you do things like post. Okay, and, so I was editing. And yeah, but the writers were off around. for eight or nine months. I didn't work. Yeah, I didn't work for most of that year. It was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Started running marathons instead. I was, I was working on my abs at the time, too. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Among other things. Uh, it is. It's a sexy room. Um, so where where were you guys? Uh, again, as far as discussions, it was quite some time ago. Um, but did you know what story you needed to tackle coming into these final sixteen, and specifically this first eight of the final sixteen? I don't think we did. I think one of the things we talked about right off the bat was, let's do a time jump. I mean, we almost jumped way ahead with Walt, Walt being like a king, really? kingpin. Yeah, we almost, we were going to have this opening, we talked about this opening teaser where we're following Walt and what's he doing, and we come in and he's already overseeing a huge meth operation. Wow. <laughs> which is something we talked about then abandoned. I don't know how quickly we abandoned it. Yeah, so... How did it get abandoned? How was that ruled out? I am remembering this now. I had for would you guys remember we did, we we liked the idea of jumping way ahead, but I'd forgotten why we. Uh, I think at some point we decided that um, there were just too many loose ends. We I would mean, have just, to skip too much. Yeah, we'd have to skip too much, and I think we felt once we started getting into the details of where we had to tie up right after the finale, then we that's when the magnet came off the. And that was going to be one of my questions. I mean, in a serialized show like this, there are always these threads that need to be kind of tied up from the previous block of episodes. Um, how did you guys approach this? How do you know how much you know real estate to give those threads? As it seemed like very little, although I guess there were a number of episodes that were dealing with tying up the Fring operation and things like that. Um, was this a discussion in the room? So every, everything's a discussion. Everything's definitely, uh, um, I, I, you know, proportion, proportioning out uh, these stories, and, and especially in these final eight now, proportioning out, you know, knowing exactly how to, you know, how much time to give every single thing is a, is a big source of discussion. Is it not? Uh, it's always hard to know, and you never know for sure. Would you guys say? Somebody help me out here. Yes, yes. Yes. bacon. Yes, yes, boss. <laughs> I mean, do you- I agree with Ben. <laughs> I think part of it, though, is is uh, you know, you know, one of the things that happens is if we have an image or something that captures our imagination, uh, you know, we said we kept on saying, you know, what is the fallout from Gus Fring's death, and it didn't feel right, even though we loved the we loved the idea, for instance, of uh, just picking up Walt in the car wash and then having him drive to a tented house and we're like why the hell is he going to a an exterminator tented house and then he goes inside and there's already a cook operation in progress we love that idea but then as we went on we we started saying you know there should be there should be fallout and but still it was it was sort of vague but then once we started thinking specifically 
And once once we had, I think the image of uh, maybe there's this computer that needs mm-hmm. to get its its uh, hard drive wiped. Uh, then I, th- I think that it's sometimes the image kind of kind of helps us lead where we're going. Because I think uh, structurally we had to get Mike into into the gang into the little gang there, and we yeah, had to do it believably because yeah. Selling how Mike would keep cooking with Walt and Jesse, I feel like that was the the thing that we, as I recall, the thing that we most felt needed an explanation. Did you need to get Mike into the gang because of Fallout later? I mean, what, why did you need to get him in other than liking that character? I guess we didn't need to. I guess <laughs> they could have started over more from scratch and learned distribution on their own and whatnot. It's just that Jonathan Banks is such a wonderful actor and, and addition to the show that we just felt like it would be a shame not to not to use him. But I guess technically speaking, we didn't have to. You know, He, <laughs> he could have come to immediate blows or he could have just died off camera down in Mexico. Or yeah, I think it was the, the love of Mike that kept him... In the show, I mean, it's just such for the fun, love of Mike. The love of Mike. <laughs> love of Mike. <laughs> this is a good sitcom <laughs> title. I think the other thing was that we were we were not struggling, but we were thinking, what is the show now that Walt doesn't have a kingpin to push against? And this was this was a problem that we ran into um, season two when we originally thought that we were going to have Tuco around for the whole season and he was going to be the big opponent for Walt. And then for various reasons, we weren't able to have that character around. Uh, it, uh, now here we were, we're like, who's, who's Walt pushing against? Who's, who's the bad guy? And then I, th- I think we came to the conclusion that Walt's the bad guy. And that really clarified everything. That's yeah, interesting. I, I mean, obviously the show has been building towards this for Walt. Um, but how do you approach, do you approach the character in a different way now that he is the bad guy? You know, is, is he still the same guy that you guys were writing Two years ago, three years ago, uh, or do you approach that character in the, the same way? No, I mean it's very. I, I would imagine on other shows you have sort of your franchise, you know, your lead characters, and you sort of know their voices, and you know what they're capable of, and you sort of know their tendencies, and you just put them in a variety of different situations and let their personality, which you are familiar with, sort of take over. But in this show, we're constantly checking in with Walt in terms of how, where is he, in terms of what he thinks of himself, what is he capable of, what does he, what does he think he's capable of, how much self-awareness does he have. So it's, it's constantly changing in a way that's you know, very challenging. That's, that's often the question that has to be answered is where's Walt's head at? And, sure. and that's, we, keep, we always end up coming back to that. And he's not, he's not the same guy. And uh, that's something that we talk, we're talking about a lot with this, this final eight also. Uh, it came up recently on a panel that we did uh, that villains are not hard to write, you know, real villainous villains. Uh, but this guy is a villain who is a once a hero, who is a complicated guy. Um, how do you, you know, in, in many ways, if you don't want to write a caricature, you kind of have to get into the head of this character. Uh, how do you guys get into Walt's headspace? Is it just living with him for so many years? I, I think it helped to dip our toes in the water, you know, and, and we didn't jump right into the villainy of it all. When, when Walt, as you just hinted at, when Walt uh, started off, he was the good guy, and he has gotten incrementally worse and worse. It's the, it's the old, uh, what's that old thing about, 
you know, putting a frog in the water and turn it up to heat and he'll let himself boil versus if you drop him into a hot pot of water, he'll jump right out. I don't know. That seemed like a good analogy. Actually, it's, it's not at all, really. But, uh, you know, you I don't guys know what are just slow boil. It sounded good when I was thinking so of it. bad for the what, frog. I can't think of it. Do you guys agree else. it's. Yeah, it's, it's bad either way. You guys agree that villains are easier to write? I don't, I'm not sure I'd. A, a good villain or a good hero, I think they're equally hard to write. A villain may be more fun to write. Definitely more, definitely more fun to write. It's just, I don't know why. Maybe because I'm a despicable person myself. I just get so much glee out of thinking what is the, what is the worst thing one can do in some instance to get himself out of trouble. But I, I guess what's been the most challenging and complicated about it over the course of the seasons is that it, it, he is a, a character. And in in an unprecedented way, who is morphing and changing, and so we don't have the franchise of the original Walter White, and it's been extremely complicated to adapt him and adapt him from being one way, moving him through to who he is becoming. Sure. Uh, and and you know something we always wind up talking about when we talk about these. When we kind of review these seasons are the choices that you guys make um and maybe we can cover some of those now do you guys remember were there tent poles uh coming into this season that you knew this is something we want to hit or this is somewhere we want a character to be or you know this is a moment that we're responding to that we'd like to sort of build around yes there were <laughs> i'll take that one uh we wanted walt to win we wanted there was a there was a lot you know at the end of season four he says I won and we have never really seen Walt win so it was important to us to show him winning for at least a little bit of time which is hard because winning is not terribly dramatic mm-hmm. you know getting to the point where you win is dramatic but once you've won it's it's pretty boring actually so that was important and then um, what happens with Mike ultimately came up pretty early in talking in the room and that was something that we wanted to build to with the conflict between Walt and Mike mm-hmm. and how that all and you know the reasons why Walt did it you know um, changed but we knew that that's what we wanted to have happen very close to the end of this season. Can you season. guys talk a little bit about how those reasons change? We're always interested in sort of the roads not taken uh, in your writer's room and especially again on this show which it's the path seems so clear you know uh, it, it's such a streamlined kind of story that that Doesn't seem clear to us. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, my God. You should have seen us yesterday. Oh, I'm glad it does seem clear uh, when you're watching it. Good. It's, it's tough uh, you know, one, to find it when you're coming up with it. <laughs> one thing, that we were just talking about this yesterday. Uh, when we started out the season, I think we really felt that Walt and Jesse were going to be working together through the whole season right up to the end. And then this, there was this event that happened in, uh, in George's episode, in the, the episode that George wrote and directed, where which was not something that we originally conceived of, which was that the, uh, the uh, Jesse Plemons character, uh, Todd, was going to shoot this child. And we, went into, we did that knowing that it felt like the right thing to do in that episode uh, because ultimately what otherwise it, it was becoming a romp in a weird way. You know, you don't want to... You, you we talk about Walt winning... And everything he he was winning, he was winning, and we wanted to go back to the costs of uh, what was happening in the story. But having done that, really changed uh, where the characters were radically for the rest of the season. So I think that was that was something that came up that was not really part of I would say the overall plan, but uh, it, 
darkened I thought it darkened the end of the season uh, just incredibly and it really it really changed the direction especially because there's there's that relationship with Walt and Jesse which is so key in the show and it that's really that really changed it radically in that moment and everything that grew out of that moment I I agree we didn't I didn't see I'll speak for myself I didn't see it coming how much it was going to change everything and then I had uh, and then uh, George on your set when you were directing the train episode I had I was out there visiting, and I had uh, Aaron Paul come up to me, and and he had he had read, you know, he, he knew the end of your episode, and he had read ahead to Jenny's episode, and he came up to me and he said, "So I, I'm not getting back in the business after this, right?" And he was very, he was very adamant. He was I've never seen him like that. He's such a he was very he's always a sweet uh, young guy. He's always very, and he was, you know, he was not being. It was interesting to hear how forceful he was about, you know, I could never go back after this. Right. So it, in a way, even even the actor himself, I think we would have come to the same conclusion. We were in the midst of coming to the same conclusion, but but the actor himself helped illuminate for us how big the decision we had made was going to be in terms of affecting... Just to uh, be clear, he is not the boss of us. We <laughs> <laughs> don't fucking listen to Aaron Paul. <laughs> Vince refers to the actors, and I'll say this in complete confidence, as meat puppets. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, Acti. You know what their job is. Acti. Acti. <laughs> Stealing from the whitest kids you know there. Uh, let's talk about that Dead Freight episode for a minute, because that moment certainly was a, a pivot point in the season. Um, and it also felt like that episode was a culmination of this sort of heist of the week. Yeah. Uh, that had been going on until then, which were all, I mean, so clever, of course, but also, uh, you know, they were building this story of what Walt was accomplishing. Um, can you talk about that episode a little bit, whether breaking it or writing it or directing it? Sure. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, I, th- I, I think we all looked at it as sort of, in a way, sort of a culmination of Walt's ego, um, Jesse sort of did come up with sort of the solution to the plan, but it was like, you know, part of it's sort of a part of his megalomania where it's I'm going to take on something. It's like a train heist, and we're going to solve these supply problems in one big fell swoop. And you know, the big the big gut punch at the end was really you know at what cost? Because we don't like to just have a romp and not really have an effect to it. And the effect was obviously profound, and it took what was really a lot of grumbling between, you know, uh, uh, Walt and Mike and put a completely different spin on it and really caused the whole dissolution of the partnership. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, the big thing for all these characters is that they're they're playing this, this crime game and the through line in the episode and the through line in the entire series has always been, well, this is sort of the game and the players are the players and they take the risks, but extending the cost to someone who's completely outside a completely innocent victim was a new thing Mm -hmm. that at some point it felt like, right, that we had to play that card to show that, you know, this, they don't live in this microcosm where there's a separate morality that spills over. And so I think that's why it turned into such a big game changer um, um, and you know the irony of it is that it came and you know it came right on the tail of this big, you know, like one of the largest heists. This almost seemingly an implausible thing that they were able to pull off through brilliance and and daring, and and so you know that was that was fun, you know, and it was obviously a blast to 
to be out there and to, to write and direct and it was, it was, it was fun. Yeah. There was a great scene in there that unfortunately, uh, uh, we had to cut for time. Tell them about that scene that we're missing where, you know, Walton is egomania, as you just described. Right. It talks about how big this heist is going to be. Yeah, he go, Walt just sort of starts reciting all the great train robberies in history. And, you know, from Jesse James, you know, there's a couple of allusions to Jesse James through, through the great train robbery in England and this and that. And, you know, Walt was up all night, like, thinking about, God, this, with the amount of methylamine we're going to steal, you know, you convert that over to my meth and this is like bigger than all of them combined and he kind of gets this very didactic mode he's sort of like he's he's like trying to rally his troops which are jesse and todd and uh you know let's do this and and so that you know we, we love that scene but it was just it was the action of the train heist was so gripping and fun that it was just like time wise we we took it out so maybe it'll be in the DVD it'll be a DVD <laughs> extra yeah yeah it it sounds too like that scene is uh, similar to these sort of extended scenes that we see fairly often in the show uh, which is you know a change needs to come or a person needs to change his mind or Walt needs to change someone else's mind and we get these great sort of extended uh, conversations in which you a mind is changed um, you know there were especially I think there were a couple with Skyler early on in the season uh, and certainly ones with Mike where they were talking him into the business and things like that uh, whether it worked or not um, tell me a little bit about writing these scenes which are you know are not a dynamic train heist but are these really interesting character scenes in which both characters have very strong points of view um, I wrote a couple of those this season and buyout. I, I did the episode right after the train robbery. So I had a lot of characters talking about um, the uh, sort of what they wanted to do next. Um, Jesse obviously wanted to get out of the business, Mike as well. And Jesse and Walt have a couple scenes together where Jesse's trying to convince Walt to sell his share of the methylamine, and Walt is trying to convince Jesse um, that they're in the empire business and they shouldn't sell. And those scenes are actually really fun to write because, you know, you really get to get in the characters' heads. And, you know, we talk a lot about how the best scenes are when both characters actually have, um, you could argue that they're both right, you know? Um, so those, so there's kind of a fun balance in writing those scenes. Yeah. And this is sort of a nuts and bolts writing question, but you know the fallout from a scene like that. How do you not take sides? You know, how do you not tip it? How, how do you find that balance? It's true because it's so easy to take sides with Walt. He's, such a- <laughs> <laughs> he's very charismatic. <laughs> he is actually. I don't know. What do you think? It seems to me he's. Uh, you kind of. You kind of. You kind of find yourself in both their heads as you're writing that. I would think. Yeah, I never actually think. That's funny that you asked that because it's never really been like, oh, whose side am I on? It's It really is. You're really just like, what's the best way for each of these people to make their argument? And you really get in Walt's head and then you get in Jesse's head. Um, so, yeah, no, it's 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 funny. I never really have thought, whose side am I on? I mean, I guess ultimately I'm always I was on Jesse's side in that in that scene, but I don't think it played into that at all because you yeah. totally understand where Walt's coming from, too. 
especially after he tells his gray matter story. Yeah, uh, yeah, you absolutely do find that balance. It's it's really very much like being a performer by being an actor. Actors don't the good actors tend to have a wonderful argument for whatever their characters are doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one of the one of the great moments for me was listening to uh, John Carlo. We went to a panel and John Carlo was talking about the character of Gus. And he said, well, essentially, Gus is a teacher. And, of course, that's not, that's, that's not, how, that's not how we saw him. No. Uh, but it makes perfect sense. And, uh, you know, I, I think when we're writing, as Jenny says, we're, we're putting ourselves, we're alternating points of view. And we really, I think the stronger, the stronger a case the characters can make to each other, the more they can push each other, the, the better the scene is, really. I, I I agree completely. I remember arguing a couple times in the early days of the show, arguing with Brian in a nice way, not not in a heated way, but but you know, talking at a cocktail party or whatnot with Brian Cranston about the character, and he would say, "Well, you know, Walt really is doing this for his family." And like an idiot, I would say, "Well, no, at this point, he's he's I think he's just an egomaniac." And he's <laughs> like, "Why would why am I arguing with this guy? He's he's got this thing down." solid he's doing a great job playing it why mess with his head here right. just it, obviously it goes back to i was thinking this when you said earlier someone on a previous panel had said villains are easy to write i i think i politely take issue with that in the sense that villains don't see themselves as villains human beings hitler thought he was a great guy and doing the right thing i mean villains you know yeah. mustache twirling uh in 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 movies and tv shows is is feels like fakery for the precise reason that it's a moment where the villain is is reveling in his or her villain villainry villainy what the fuck right. word is <laughs> villainy and it's like people don't do that people think of themselves as the good guy so you know i don't know it was dumb of me to argue with with Brian because he's got to play the part and suddenly if he thinks of himself as a bad guy it sort of throws everything out of out of whack and it seems like this is something you know the these guys being the star of their own movie or you know any any tertiary character uh having that strong a point of view is something you guys have done really well uh and this question came from twitter from our friend paul Shear, who you may know loves oh, we love this paul show. <laughs> oh human uh, giant and uh well, and nts yeah. nts f ntsf yeah. san diego not, yes, yes, not, not that we ever like watch that when we're supposed to be working or anything <laughs> no, no we, we youtube that stuff all the time that's true it helps us get through the day paul be glad die to hear it uh, okay. <laughs> die on the moon that's how vince calls us into the office actually he's like all right, cowards. <laughs> Let's go. Out of your cages, cowards. Get out of your cages. Yeah. Awesome. We love it. <laughs> uh, but Paul wanted to know, you know, you create these strong characters. Again, even these tertiary characters. Are there any that you wanted to revisit that you were not able to bring back? Were there storylines intended for some of these characters? I mean, Tuco was a good example. but Gordon was mad in his head. Gale. <laughs> We had we were talking talk about bringing Gale back and talking seeing him in a flashback. Yeah, again, that's a good point. Uh, yeah, tell him about that. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we were, we talked for weeks actually and kept revisiting, trying to figure out a way to bring Gale in in a way that we would because there's the big there's all the stuff about Walt Whitman and the the book which came from Gale, um, and so we thought it would be fun to see like the moment of that book passing between Gale and Walt, which had taken place off camera, obviously in the, the series so far. Um, and 
God, we, we tried like six different ways, seven different ways. For people, uh, in to, in to different episodes, with, too? No, I mean, I think it was mostly... Well, the scene was, was carded for... It was a teaser, yeah, for uh, eight. For, the, for gliding overall, yeah. Yeah. And it was a good scene. Yeah. We had, there were three, there were at least three good it. scenes yeah. that, <laughs> that, that we had for it that for, again, for a variety of reasons that just we, we couldn't... One of them being that... Um, uh, David Costable, who plays Gail, uh, wanted to get married, and uh, pesky, that was when we marriage. were. How dare he! Such <laughs> How dare he! How dare he! <laughs> These actors get ideas. Get big ideas. And nobody wanted to do my computer-generated Gail version. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A CG Gail? Why not? Yeah, would have worked. You could have given him rod puppet. <laughs> Tom is all set to wear the motion capture suit, right. <laughs> but nobody wanted to there. see that no. at all. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, the other big move I, I feel like in this uh, season, half season, is um, the uh, choice to find a new place to cook. Uh, and this whole storyline with the, the uh, exterminators, which was fascinating and also visually stunning. Uh, can you take us inside this? Where did, where did, my wife wants to know, where did this idea come from? <laughs> <laughs> Was it it, it came from Vince. Vince. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, a couple seasons ago, actually. Oh, really? I, the idea. I didn't write that episode. Peter did. Right. Did a wonderful job writing it. Uh, but yeah, I, I, we're as you can see out the window here. We're a few blocks down from Ralph's, and I walk down there every now and then and get uh, you know lunch or whatnot. And uh, and then pass all these houses in this neighborhood in Burbank that are tinted. And for the last couple of years, I remember thinking that'd be a good place to cook meth <laughs> because you know. Who's going to go, well, as, as Peter has uh, the characters, to, as Walt described it, who's going to go in there? So it was, it was one of those ideas where you heard it was like, it's so crazy, it just might work. <laughs> well, and we went back, there were a couple of times where we literally said, is this crazy? Could this, is, how, do we, how do we make this feel real? Mm-hmm. And that was, that was one of the challenges of writing that particular episode. One of the things I love about this show in particular is that we're willing to do process Mm-hmm. That we're willing to go into detail about how these characters go about their business, and uh, I think that particular episode, uh, for better or for worse, ha- was the most process-oriented episode <laughs> I've been involved with on the show. Uh, from the from the the question of where are we going to cook to how do we split up this money and who gets paid what, it was it was <laughs> it it was uh, it, it's it's so different from the other episodes that I've written, and it, I think it's different from the episodes other episodes this season too in a weird way mm-hmm. so it was it was a really it was it was fun to write but it was it was also very you know you get nervous because you say is this is this fun process or is this exposition mm-hmm. and uh i thought it was it ended up being fun process i never worried about the process not being fun i worried about it making sense that was mm-hmm. the, that was a bitch to break that was yeah. like the longest one of all of them to that's to, right how was it, four weeks to figure out that one? Yeah, because we also had to figure out, okay, so if we're tenting, yeah. then how are they cooking within? It, they only have three days, maybe four days max in that situation. Mm-hmm. So we had to concoct the whole portable meth labs. and That, that was the great breakthrough for that. Big, I mean, because yeah. once we... Once the mobile meth labs came up, and then we saw the designs for it, it was like, oh my God, this is actually going to work. Because I think there was a, probably a period of time where it was like... How the fuck are they going to do it? That was just yeah. really going to happen. And the tent within the tent. Yes. And just working out the system. Yeah. System of how to do it. And, and got to give a big tip of the hat to Mark Freeborn, our production designer, yes. and yeah. his crew, who really, 
you know, you sit in a room like this and you have these ideas and then you see sketches uh, from these artists who, who we work with and suddenly you just get so excited because you say this actually could work and, and the brilliance and the attention to detail that Mark mm-hmm. Freeborn and his crew uh, put into these, you these are, these props are amazing. I mean, uh, props are, I guess they're props because the, uh, the, the characters interact with them and they're not set dressing, but they're amazingly complex and well thought out yeah. and detailed and, and, and yeah, beautiful. I mean, and also Adam Bernstein who directed that particular mm-hmm. episode, uh, which, he, and he's directed quite a few. And yeah. I think that's, that might be his last one. And it was, uh, that was, that was, he just did a wonderful job introducing the whole thing and, and using the showmanship of going inside the tent and so on. It was really, it was really fun. Yeah. I mean, that attention to the minutiae of what they do from the script mm-hmm. to the execution is really stunning in that. Uh, so, and that's also Good something job. that Brian and Aaron bring to it too, is that they, there's no, there's never a sense that they're just moving things around for the hell of it. Mm-hmm. It's very much, and they'll, they'll tell you too, if there's, if there's been a previous episode where, they opened up this thing and then this thing came down. They'll say, no, no, well, that's not the way we do it. We do it this, we do it this way. And, uh, they, they so they act sometimes as, uh, the keepers of the continuity of some of those things. Yeah. I think about it on Star Trek. There was probably the same. I'm, I'm not even kidding. You know, yeah. Scotty would always, you know, no, I, the, the transporter works this way. I slide this thing and then I, I don't press this button first, you know. Come on already, you know. Get programmed. <laughs> this, director coming in um i i think people are curious and along the same lines about what kind of research you guys do uh into these processes should talk to uh well it's usually uh, it's sort of a feedback process because well something will get pitched in the room and usually if it's something that we that everyone goes could that work like i'll i'll, I'll be online because i'm taking notes and then i'll just pull up some kind of thumbnail sketch and be like does this pass just the first like most cursory like does the internet say maybe kind of thing um and then if the internet says maybe and it's and it seems to be getting traction and it seems to work for the story um i'll usually shoot an im or or an email to jen who is our writer's pa and script coordinator and she'll sort of start digging into it and then we'll it, it just goes back and forth between me and jen and the writer of the episode and the room and we'll just sort of try and figure out to the best we can uh, reach out to us, some of our experts if it's something drug related we have daa contacts if it's train related train related jen did <laughs> a ton of research and reached out to like retired like hazardous materials coordinators <laughs> for 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 the ntsa and all these oh, other people the so the amount of research that went into that was incredible yeah you guys are incredible and it was on all levels i mean starting with you guys to how are, how are, is hazardous waste shipped and, right. you know, what goes into a manifest and how is it uploaded on the computer and how, what kind of security clearance you need to get the access to the, all that stuff too. And then the props people, and this is what the, the pump would look like and this is what the thing would look like. And this is what the, they have these little security things that you have to put on and take off and yada, yada, and it's really incredible detail, wow. which is really helpful. You know? Point being that at the end of it all, every viewer out there should be able to rob a train. All the information they need. Exactly. Uh, this is another question from my wife, who you know, and I think it was uh, Peter on your episode that she's watching the process and she goes, "These guys know how to make meth." <laughs> oh, yeah. oh yes. So my question is, do you all know how to make meth? <laughs> yeah. Moira does. Yeah. 
oh, poor yeah. new coming in. That's why yeah. I hired her. I'm, I'm the right. resident expert. I think by now Mark Freeborn really would I think know. Mark, like Freeborn Mark Freeborn could, could, could uh, yeah. yeah. I'll joke it aside. I think he could. Yeah. 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 Mark but, um, before any of us. Yeah. I know enough to mess with it. <laughs> Burn my face off. <laughs> Our DEA consultant gave us uh, inside information mm-hmm. and we know exactly not only how to cook meth but how to cook high quality product mm-hmm. <laughs> and we make a point of leaving out sure. a step what's what's funny though is so that yeah go ahead oh i'm sorry is that uh, our um the, the the idea of it being blue was really a conceit that was that was that was really? just something that we wanted to do early on to distinguish Walt's meth from the other meth and now apparently there's real blue meth being oh, cooked no. so i i don't know what i don't know whether we I think Vince, you can take credit for that. You know, it's, it's, you should be getting a cut, man. My mom is so proud. Oh, yeah, a proud moment. Uh, along along those lines, this is the sort of nerdy question I don't usually allow uh, to be asked on these. But uh, how much restraint did it take to not use crystal blue persuasion until this season? I we honestly didn't think of it until this season. Really? I I was driving to work. Um, uh, when was this? Uh, it was, you know, six months ago or something. I was driving to work and it came on the air. It came on the radio on the on the XM radio there and on the '60s on Six Channel or whatever the hell it is. And uh, I was like, "Oh yeah, I love this song." Oh wait, yeah. And then I came in and pitched it to these guys. And because I'm like, you know, 87 years old, I had to explain to everybody and hear who uh, Tommy James and the Shondells were. And uh, practically, and uh, then uh, we we pulled it up. Uh, Gordon pulled it up on his uh, iPod on his um, computer there and played it for us. And yeah, for a long time, I think it was that 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 jump forward. I mean, the crystal blue persuade. Like for the long time, it it migrated through the season of when yeah. that was going to happen. But that was like, yeah. and that was always standing in, and it changed sort of what the character of what it was going to be <laughs> as it migrated through the episodes, and finally. That's right. And then Moira used it to great uh, good use in uh, the final episode yeah. there. So you wrote, did you, when you were writing that scene, did you have it on a loop playing it over and over? <laughs> or, or? Uh, it was, it was unusual and cool to know what the song was going to be in advance because usually the music choices happen afterwards, like the brilliantly perverse music choice of the Nat King Cole song yeah. over the jail killing <laughs> montage. Um, but we already, uh, knew that we wanted to have a really stylized montage. We were very inspired by The Graduate and that kind of handoff, yeah. uh, smooth, steady feeling. And it seemed to suit the song perfectly. And we also wanted to do something that we really, really rarely do, which is jump in time. Mm-hmm. So the montage had to accomplish several things. But um, Crystal Blue was just... <laughs> It was delightful to finally get to use it. And you were on the set with Michelle McLaren, who did such a great job directing it. Yeah. And uh, that was a, the, maybe the toughest montage we've. We, you speak for uh, speak to that as far as the production of it. the toughest montage. Yeah, it was really we've ever ambitious. Done. It it was it was extremely ambitious. All the transitions were scripted, and wow. you know it takes an inordinate amount of time to shoot a montage, anyway. 
And Michelle is extremely dedicated, very meticulous, and she did not, I mean, she was determined not to miss anything and to add. And, you know, so it was, you've got one camera going, you're maximizing your space. You've got one camera going in one section of a set, another portion of the montage being set. It's really like guerrilla filmmaking um, because it takes so much time to get all the pieces. And so, yeah, it was it was an incredibly uh, fastidious and challenging undertaking. Almost every time we write a montage, it gets cut out of the script. Really? It, it's because of production. Mm-hmm. It's just too much. It's just hard Somehow to do. Somehow, got two montages. <laughs> and then, and then and Michelle, 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 will, Michelle like will find a way to put it. Are we allowed to say what Michelle's doing right now? Yeah. Uh, Michelle is right now directing Game of Thrones. Two oh, episodes. Two episodes oh, right. of Game of Thrones. Yeah, yeah. So, rah, rah. She so rocks. That's going to be cool. Oh yeah, well, she's what is, one of the best directors around. I think she's brilliant. definitely she's absolutely brilliant. What does uh, Stu Lyons or uh, line producer call uh, montages? They're French. That's uh, French for overtime. French for overtime. <laughs> <laughs> um, and from a story point uh, standpoint, this montage obviously was used to cement Walt in uh, as a kingpin. Um, you know, this is something that you could have spent a whole season on. This what happened in three minutes uh why the decision to do it here and get him to not only this kingpin status but past it because we only had about 11 minutes left of the season (laughs) (laughs) i think it goes back a little bit to what i was saying where showing uh somebody winning Mm -hmm. getting them to win is dramatic but once they've won it 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 is less dramatic so it's like you don't want to spend that much time, sh- you know, what would it be? It'd be like, oh, everything's going perfectly. You really, drama is in, you know, when things don't go well. So or, it was a really efficient way to be able to do that. Right. And Or when you do win, when all your dreams come true, they don't necessarily come true. Mm-hmm. So we not only wanted to show that he had completely won, he was the kingpin and he had ascended beyond his wildest expectations, but he was a husk. It didn't feel like he expected it to feel. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, what I think was interesting about that also is, you know, so much of this season and, and past seasons for that matter is about Walt seeing through what he wants to do through sheer willpower. You know, he's, he's willing these things into happening and he will not take no for an answer. And then given this opportunity to succeed with everything out of his way, he does. Uh, which had never happened before. Um, was there talk about, you know, putting more obstacles in his way, or was it always going to be that he wins? I think one of the first questions we asked, tell, tell me if I'm wrong here, but one of the first questions we always ask ourselves is, what haven't we seen before on the show? So a lot about, uh, a lot, like Jenny was saying, a lot, a lot of the season was about winning. And also, you know, as Jenny just said, uh, you know, it, we had not seen him win. Uh, season four, for instance, was the opposite of winning. It was losing until the very bitter end, mm-hmm. or actually the victorious end. It was a bitter season that led to one victorious moment of, of winning the chess match, as it were, over, over Gustavo Fring. But, yeah, like Jenny was saying, like you know, as I was saying a minute ago, we wanted to show something different, but the pitfall dramatically of winning is that you know, there's a reason that the old fairy tales end with, and they lived happily ever after. They don't start with that because that's boring, watching people living happily ever after. But, of course, you know, as with most things in this show, Walt, Walt, I'm just repeating what other folks have said, uh, 
while having his dreams come true is 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 not necessarily uh, a happy thing. It's 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 uh, you know I I love and I love how much we do very economically. Moira and and Michelle and and Brad Cranston do very economically and very visually without words without dialogue in that montage when when. When uh, Brian uh, is cooking, when when Walt is cooking, you know Brian sits down and after a long day's work and just sort of, uh, you know, it's, it's the old, work. yeah, it's the essence of uh, pictures worth a thousand words. Just his expression in the shower, his expression sitting in his living room by himself, his expression sitting by the edge of the pool at night when Skyler comes home and wants to take him to show him all the money. It's just, you just you get it. He's this is not making him happy. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's uh, we'll we'll wrap up in a minute, but let's talk um, for a moment about some of these other characters that you guys are playing with. Um, Jesse felt, or I've heard the reviews, it felt that Jesse was a little sidelined this year, and yet his presence was absolutely a strong, uh, a strong one. You know, I feel like we're sort of waiting for the, these two to come head to head again. Uh, talk about Jesse's arc and how you guys planned what is going to happen to this character this season. Does anyone want to take that? I, uh, I, I, it, it was a subtle arc, I think. You Jesse's know, he, arc? Yeah. Um, he, he did, there was him leaving the business, obviously, but this came late, I guess. That was the one that kind of took, I'll speak for myself, took me by surprise. Mm-hmm. But, uh, what the, oh yeah, well that was one of the things we were talking about in terms of the train episode. Yeah. Right. Really. Cause I, for a while, in in in, in Tom's episode, in, in episode seven, I was I would you know again just speaking for myself, not anybody else. I was thinking, well, we, Walt has to be able to bully him back into cooking. Yeah, but it just wouldn't it wouldn't go. You couldn't put that square peg in that round hole. Right. Yeah. No. We had talked. We were talking about this yesterday about that. This sort of the idea for Jesse at the beginning of the season. I think we all thought was going to last a lot longer, which was that. Jesse felt guilty in, in Walt's brilliant manipulation for having ex- mistakenly accused him of uh, poisoning uh, Brock. And so Jesse's lesson, takeaway from that whole experience was that I'm just going to trust Walt or Mr. White uh, from here on out because just he knows better. And he's so he, right. he's always right. And I'm, I'm just a, a, just a gnat. <laughs> And I'm going to be his acolyte. And mm-hmm. so that's sort of how he, he was sort of um, under his wing. But then the, then the shooting changed that. And um, in terms of where we're going with Jesse, I, don't, I mean, it's funny. I don't because, think his arc was that light either. I mean, he got, he, even though he was manipulated by Walt, he got smarter. He was coming up with ideas. Yeah. He was designing cook cases and, and yeah. ways to, to make them more mobile. The mobile magnet and, gag was his idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's kind of bittersweet with Jesse, though, because we put him through so much. Sometimes we just miss sort of idiot Jesse, you know. I just really sort miss of idiot kind of, Jesse. Yeah, I really do. Funyuns Jesse. Yeah. But like, it, it feels a little trite now with everything that he's been through, and sure. it, it's um, to have him sort of go off half cocked. Um, well, he's he's growing up too, and I think we're we're really getting to up. see it. He's coming into his own. He's yeah. he's less of a acolyte, as you say, more yeah. of a fifty fifty partner. Yeah, I have to say that's why that dinner scene was fun because yeah. it was sort of yeah. one of those moments where you got to have Jesse be a little bit idiotic. It was yeah. like one of those brief 
shining moments in the season. Yeah. Dumb Jesse. So that was that. What was it like being on the set for that? I wish I could have been there. That, that was really fun. fun because Anna and Aaron were so excited to do that scene because it's the first time they've had a scene together since season one, oh, wow. and it's something we've always wanted to do, and finally we're able to do, and something they want to do. They were like, "Okay, so I'm going to do this." They were so excited, but by the end, because it's an eating scene, which I always feel bad. I always end up having a lot of eating scenes in my episodes. You feel bad because you do take after take and so the actors are eating and Aaron made the choice to be shoveling those green beans right. into his mouth as because he's so uncomfortable and Anna made the choice to be drinking constantly so by the end of it they were like Ugh. they were just not feeling well but it was so exciting and they did such a great job and it was just a really really fun scene because yeah. it was something everybody had kind of been looking forward to doing. You know who's a master at that the, is uh, James Gandolfini in The Sopranos because he's always eating in those things but if you see there's so many scenes where he's like in front of the TV and he's actually just sort of pushing the ice cream around. He's not actually <laughs> eating the ice cream. There are legendary stories yeah. about not being able to cook steaks fast enough for him. Like oh. I've heard those stories. Oh, because he's actually for, because he's actually eating oh. these steaks and props his back with the grill and they're just like really he, he ate like uh... four, four steaks one time. It's crazy. Wow. It's kind of like I, like Jenny's scene, like that scene with it. The, the comic scene they're so they're they're like little oases for us now because yeah. sort of as the show has they're gone rare. on mm-hmm. there's just less and less we almost have less sort of tonally we have a narrower sort of bandwidth to play with now just because mm-hmm. there's so much destruction and loss in these characters <laughs> lives that to sort of go off on some sort of wild comic scene in the way that we could in the past we just don't in a way it, I don't know Tell me if you agree, Vince, but there, in a way we have less territory to play with emotionally now than we did in the beginning. I, I agree with you completely, and yet having said that, I, I am I was very surprised in these first eight episodes about how much humor we managed yeah. to sneak in because mm-hmm. I did not see yeah. we us having in advance of it. I did not see us having the ability to do that. But there's yeah. a lot of more humor, I am happy to say, than I would have thought possible because yeah. we're always looking for always looking for opportunities yeah <laughs> yeah and and in fact um, it's coming up i think we've got some fun fun things coming too coming up in the the second age so really <laughs> yes yes Where? we do <laughs> some funny some funny moments yes i haven't really been paying attention yeah my mind's really been <laughs> thinking what am i doing after this yeah your fantasy football draft oh god yeah went really well <laughs> I wonder if it's worth talking about the, the fact uh, two of these guys directed for the first time. I think it probably is. Yeah, this season. <laughs> the, the first time uh, uh, the Tom Schnauz had not directed since, uh, since I uh, shot his uh, student film in Vince college. Vince was my DP. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. In, at NYU. So tell that's us about the clown one. No, no the clown was mine. <laughs> the only I could only act. Actually, I was uh, I was an AC on his film. I was doing double duty. I was an actor and an AC. <laughs> Okay. Is that uh, true? Yeah. I forgot wow. that. So you're pulling focus when you weren't in the shot or whatnot? <laughs> I might have been loading cameras. Oh, okay, yeah. So that's why the, maybe the grease paint all over the film. Because I was dressed as a clown. <laughs> it only would have improved it. <laughs> <laughs> chance That'll getting, be a DVD extra, Is there extra any chance too, of right? getting the clown movie on as a DVD yeah. extra? <laughs> only if I can recut it. If I can get Kelly, Kelly or Skip to recut it. No. It's, it's, no. No fair. You can't play with it. That's the whole hey, point. <laughs> George Lucas does it all the time, man. You want to be George Lucas? He's Steven invoking Spielberg. George Lucas. He's gone <laughs> mad with power. <laughs> there's all these computer-generated effects in this <laughs> film. How did he pull that there's, off in 1987? There's tauntauns. 
Mime Pays was the name of the film. This will be the special edition. It's it's <laughs> dreadfully slow. It's twelve minutes long. It should it's be. Really it should, it out. It <laughs> should it should be it should be four and a half to five. You were minutes like, long. I shot this film. I'm going to use every inch every of it. Every fucking frame <laughs> that I shot. Are you saying a student film was indulgent? <laughs> Fun your teacher's fault. If I could cut it down, I'd, I'd think about putting it in. Yeah, yeah. it's just too long. We but can't you wait. you were good. The you box did. set. That'll be yeah. great. <laughs> you did a you did a, a, a great job. And then uh, George here had never you'd never directed no. anything really? before you did the train episode. Yeah. So yeah. How, that's a big episode to jump in on too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Are you done? He's Is that much it? <laughs> thinner now. I would like to point yeah. out. He came back. We, so has thin. it turned you off to directing forever? No, not at all. <laughs> okay. Uh, no, it was great. It was um, but yeah, it was definitely you know a big. Big thing to take on. Yeah. Right. So tell us, uh, uh, Tom and George, tell us about you know this after writing episodes to step in and direct them. What did you learn? How is it different? Obviously, it's different. But what did you learn from it? What did I learn? I learned nothing. Uh, no, I. This, I mean, for a first-time director, this was really the best way to do this because I, I mean, following Michelle McLaren on several episodes, knowing the crew, you know, working with this crew for a couple of years now, it was just. I mean, just you just slid right in, and everybody there wanted you to succeed and 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 support you. So it was just uh, felt very lucky that you know to be able to do this. Uh, it, was, it was great, great environment, and yeah, Michelle was. I mean, you know, basically, I felt like I was learning the whole thing from shot listing to you know <laughs> all the way through, and so yeah. It was, uh, it was good to have a few mentors there, Michael Slovis and Michelle. Definitely, Michael yeah, Slovis. Yeah. Has it changed your approach to writing? I don't think so. No, I mean, no, I, the only simplify. thing I did differently... <laughs> That's what I would say. <laughs> That's what I wondered. <laughs> simplify, yes. This was a, I mean, while, while I was writing, I, was, I would write a scene and then like, immediately draw a little sketch storyboard. Really? <laughs> that was the only thing I did differently on this script. Mm-hmm. Here's a $64,000 question. That could cause all kinds of, but I think we're uh, we're very we have a very writer friendly audience listening to this. Uh, what's harder, directing <laughs> or writing? I think uh, writing is definitely the harder thing to pull off. Why? <clears throat> because once I mean the once the script is done and solid, it's like you just and you have so much help in directing. I mean, you just rely on so many more people. I think when we're writing the script, we're just sort of relying on each other here in this room. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like if you you mess the script up, then you're <laughs> you're in, you're in big trouble. Well, if you you know if you mess something up directing, you have so many other people to every. I mean, just prop department costumes. Everybody's there to to just to mm. to fix it, help you fix it and see. You know, somebody talking about Michael Slovis. So many times on the set, I would be thinking of a shot, and he'd be like. Hey, look at this. And I'd be like, wow, that's so much better than what I had in mind. Okay, let's do that. <laughs> and so, uh, so for me, writing was harder. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I would say, I mean, there's no equivalent to sort of staring at a blank computer screen and coming up with that creatively. I think that process, creatively, I think it's, it's harder. I think directing is kind of more of a physical marathon and a mental marathon because you're it's well at least i mean i had a situation where it was i felt like i was you know having to shoot a lot in a little time and so the stress of having to do that and you know so it's a very difficult it's a it's a difficult thing but not as difficult creatively so i think writing is more difficult 
<laughs> creatively. I think maybe if you were, you know, in a different situation, you had like you were just shooting two page days as opposed to eleven page days or ten yeah. page days, then you know it you, it wouldn't be quite as stressful. I don't know. Um, so <laughs> I think it's like it's hard in a different way, more of a physical kind of mental sort of endurance test mm -hmm. way as opposed to writing where you you know you're just basically sitting in front of a computer so you don't have that but you have more creatively it's more difficult to come up with this whole world and yeah. there's there's one more aspect too which is the difference between uh directing when you are casting for instance our show we have because a lot of directing is making sure that you have the right cast and our show already has an extraordinary cast mm -hmm. which makes uh, the director's job, I can just because I directed both the show and other stuff, it makes the director's job so much easier that these actors are just not just wonderful creatively, but proficient technically in every way, and it makes it makes the director's job so much easier and raises everybody's game when you when you have a scene with uh, that you've written and you get you know Aaron and Brian together it's just it's in some sometimes for the director it's a matter of sit standing back and letting what's happening unfold uh when you have when you're starting from scratch as Vince did Vince you know cast the show uh when he directed the pilot uh he he kind of set the tone and you know set most of most of these characters already so it's a very different it's a very different situation it's also the directors we have who come in to the show who aren't part of the group you know as tom said we've all worked with this crew for years uh, there are a lot of directors who come in and this is their first they may never have been to new mexico before in their <laughs> lives you know they may go in and not know anybody and that's a very different situation and they have to kind of slide in uh, being a television director, I think, is a really, really tough gig because they have gig. to kind of slide into a situation and adapt to what's going on. And, uh, and yet they're sort of coming in as a general yes. to you know tell command this army, yes. and but they're the newbie. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting. Being a journeyman TV director is a tough yeah. gig. Yeah. Tough gig. Peter uh, directed uh, Problem Dog uh, last year. Excellent mm -hmm. episode. And he also, I'm bragging on a little, he did <laughs> Lloyd Bridges' last movie. That's that's true. You killed Lloyd Bridges. I, I, well, <laughs> he died on the, the set. The, I believe. the challenge <laughs> was the he challenge was trying to this. avoid killing Lloyd Bridges. Oh. Yes, that's true. That's true. Wait, yeah. was he a cool guy? Lloyd Bridges was fantastic. Lloyd Bridges, you know, Lloyd Bridges was uh, really accomplished and passionate. And uh, the great thing, you know, he's a he was very elderly when he did the movie. And one of the great things about it was to see somebody who still loved acting and who loved making an entrance. And he, you know, he would just light up when he. And you, you know, you know, performers are such special people, uh, you know, at, at this level. And when you see somebody who goes from, you know, being, you know, debilitated physically or in a tough condition, and then they, he came on the set and he knew his lines. He was just, he was wonderful. Uh, Picked the wrong day to stop sniffing glue. That's right. <laughs> Did you have him do that for you? Well, you know, yes. You know, he <laughs> he talked about that. One of the things that Lloyd said was that he was always a little irritated because he they gave him the Zuckers came to him, showed him the script for Airplane, and said that he could do pick pick your role, and he loved that role of the of the uh, I'm forgetting what the character's name is the the guy in the control tower, the guy on the ground. He loved that role, so he he picked that because he thought that was the funniest stuff. But then he said he realized later that was a mistake because Leslie Nielsen was in the was in the airplane with the two with the romantic leads 
and and so he got to, he got to he got to be kind of at the center of the action. He's, right. He was he was a little bit he was a little he he was he, Billy he, one of the romantic leads. Just trying to remember who was Billy. The little boy. The little Billy. Oh, <laughs> Billy. Have you ever been in a Turkish prison? Right. Yeah. Do you so, like gladiator Billy. movies, yeah. Billy? <laughs> oh man, naked. That's pretty romantic. Naked. romantic. <laughs> you got to put the schnauz filter on. I have several more. I have several more airplane questions. Um, let's talk about uh, coming into the home stretch here. Uh, where are you guys? Uh, where are you as far as yes, writing, uh, as far as meaning? <laughs> <laughs> These things go down. <laughs> we're not in great shape right now. <laughs> All joking aside, we're a little behind schedule, and we are... Uh, I think I saw a chunk of your hair fall out <laughs> yesterday. Just, it's all gone go from gray how, to white hair. <laughs> how far into are you to scripting yet? We're in the teaser of the first episode. <laughs> we're, we're four screwed. weeks in, and we're, we're screwed. It keeps changing. We have don't, not figured out the teaser. Don't, of the first we don't even have a teaser for the first. Episode. Perfect. Yeah, you exactly. We have the rest of it. <laughs> there's some. We're not really, panicking. Right there's now. there's some just some wonderful wonderful things that are coming up. Some really scary, God. exciting, this is job, funny stuff. We just don't and, know what they are. And yet. it's just there's just. <laughs> There's, I would say, say what you Vince, say, Peter. Say your Peter catchphrase. My, 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 the catch. Good things are happening. There you go. Good things are happening, and uh, uh, you know we just have a lot of, uh, as Vince puts it, we have a lot of puzzle pieces, and we want to make. We want to pay off. Unfortunately, they're all from a hundred different puzzles, and they don't <laughs> fit together. Yeah, we, we're just desperate not to fuck it up. It's, that's all. It's just about making decisions. We have lots and lots of things, and you know, because it's the last season, we have to pick which ones we want to do, and yeah. stuff yeah. we like might not we might not be able to do. In previous seasons, there were always things that we would put off. I mean, yeah. like for instance, the to. To the To explosion, what we used to call ding boom, uh, that was something that we had really early on, and we kept on thinking, "Oh, it'll be," it'll, and then it kept on getting pushed later and later. And now we've come to the point where that we can't push anything later. Uh, that that uh, we're anything. And I sometimes I'll pitch something, and I'll if it doesn't end in an episode in my in my head, I'll think, "Well, you know, we'll get it in eventually." And now. Now that no longer it's it's kind of, it's yeah. it's very very sad because and we you know we don't want it to end. We have reached the time of reckoning. <laughs> it's tough. Although I got to say, uh, I always love Peter's enthusiasm. It's uh, we all we all laugh about it, but uh, in, in the most affectionate way because it's. I am so very negative. Uh, I don't try to be. I just by nature, just genetically. But uh, we, we have such a good balance in this room among everybody, and everybody is all pulling the rope in the same direction. And if we didn't have that, we well, we wouldn't. You wouldn't even be here now. You would. We would have. Peter's been much more negative this season, though. I'm going to say. I'm really surprised. He's he, not. He's he, willfully optimistic. He used to say. He would always say good things are happening, and then he said good things used to be happening. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Almost went out and slit my wrist. That was a sad day. That was a bad day. <laughs> so, so the is the approach to pitching and planning vastly different than it's been in the past. No, I don't think it's any different. We're doing the same. We're doing the same way we've always done it. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not completely joking when I say we're a little stressed out right now. Sure. As far as uh, we're having a hard time uh, at the moment, but we've had hard times before. These guys always are very good at reminding me when I get despondent or, or stressed out. 
But we never had we never had to take an hour out for a podcast at the beginning of a day. That's all, that's all I'm going to say. My I'll be job here is, every week. <laughs> my job is to remind Vince of every time that things have gone poorly or we've had a bad day. I just sort of have an encyclopedic knowledge of like all the times we've struggled. And he'll be like, has it ever been this hard? I'll be like, yes, on this episode, blah, 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 blah. And it is very we, helpful. It is very helpful we to do ourselves into a corner. Yeah, because, you know. Remember the time we were like, so there'll be a plane crash. But. No, it's, you know what? It, and it's very helpful because I, you know, I, I you know, the old cliche, I, 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 I can only assume is true is that, you know, a woman forgets the pain of childbirth, you know, after it's over. <laughs> it's, I, I forget, you? you know, I forget, yeah, I forget, <laughs> uh, you know, how painful all these episodes are. And it is helpful to have, um, Jenny, uh, remind me because, uh, yeah, it, it, well, you know, I'd forgotten how long it took, uh, for the exterminator episode, for instance, it took like a month to yeah. break that damn thing. Right. So, so there's also the, the inverse of that too, which is that the fantasy that we come back to, which is like, once we get through this, then the next thing will be really easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause when we ever, we struggled on the first date, we were like, well, this is the touch. I mean, we're the back eight. I'm not worried about the back at all. That writes itself. I'm a built in. Yeah. Once we get there, we're home free. Yeah. But it's going to go like grease lightning. Yeah. Our eyes are going to roll back into our head and we're just going to take dictation from God. <laughs> It's true. It's always going to be easier on the next one. That's yeah. sort. Of, I think that's part of the next fantasy of the uh, of the time cut too. Which like, what if we did a big time? Big time cut? cut. We come out of the time cut and then we just start all over. Skip, again. Zero. We skipped all the stuff we yeah. can't explain. Yeah, exactly. You can never do. Yeah. That. He's back teaching chemistry again. <laughs> you know what though? You need that, don't you? You're exactly right. It's funny. It's funny because it's true, and it's. Uh, but you need you need that forgetfulness. Otherwise, it'd just be. It'd all be too hard to face. It's like, yeah. well, this one's, well, the Navy SEAL thing is the only easy day was yesterday. Yeah. But I, I can't believe that. I got to believe today's going to be easier than yesterday. Otherwise, yeah. I can't go on. Well, I would have not yeah. been a good Navy SEAL. All I can say is, you may say I'm optimistic, but my track record is impeccable. And I've always said, this is going to work out. It's going to, it's good. We're going to come out with a great season. And yeah. I haven't been wrong yet. No, that's true. You have not been wrong yet. Uh, this you know, this this might this one may be the one I don't know. That's right, <laughs> that's right. See? But I remember I remember the day I remember the day we were breaking the fly episode and I I got oh really excited God. and I said the fly this is going to work this is great this is going to work and uh, I don't remember who was taking notes that day. Kate. Was, Kate was taking the notes that day and and everyone said put that in the notes. Peter says it's going to work so we can hold we can. Hold this over his head That's when true. it doesn't, and it worked. My office work? is next to Peter's, and the walls are really thin here. And every morning, I hear the gentle farting. sobbing. <laughs> As he steals himself for another day. Just keeps it all inside. All, all, all Optimism. The, all the pills. All the pills I'm popping. Say like this. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, let me ask you guys one more question before we wrap up. Um, we like to know, especially from you know writers who didn't create the show, although, Vince, we haven't talked about this yet either, uh, how much of you is in these characters? Where do you get to inject yourself yeah, in? What specific body part? <laughs> oh. Uh, how much do you get to inject yourself into the whether it's the emotion, the story, whatever it is? Can you point to something and say, yes, that there, that is, that is me? Katie will take out this long pause. That's a, that's a good question. I don't. I would. I'm not sure. I mean, sure we're so embedded. I feel like all of us are in schizophrenically in all their heads mm-hmm. to an 
uh, intense degree. So I think when, when we can all pitch everybody and feel like we're part is there, of who they are. Is there any particular character who's the easiest to write? Maybe. I for, love for me, Jesse is really, really fun, and Jesse's some awesome. of the stuff with Jesse and on on buyout in particular, there were certain things with Jesse, Saul, and Mike that I felt I really got to kind of just really specific lines. Like Saul says, you know, some hurts only show on the inside, like that, and and that got to stay in the mm-hmm. script, and that's that's something that I would say. And, you know, I don't really have the same voice as Saul, but it was also something that kind of worked. So there are moments like that. But overall, I think because we all pitch everything on the show and because we work so closely together, I think we all have kind of become part of the characters, like Moira was saying, is we're all just... There are moments you can point to, but I don't know. It's weird. We become sort of this weird hive mind. (laughs) Hive mind. I like that. It's funny because Jenny, uh, last season, uh, used to write uh, Hank's blog. Yes. And I think you got Hank's voice down to a T. And now this season, Gordon yeah. is writing Hank's yes. blog. And he's there are subtle distinctions between the two, but I love both voices. I love both versions of it. I don't think he uses uh, <clears throat> variations on douche as much as I do. I know. I douche tart is not. Yeah. <laughs> it just douche, every time douche. I did it, so Vince would laugh. Right. So I would try to come up with new variations on douche. Douche canoe. Douche like canoe. It's a, it's a musical piece, yeah. the douche variations. <laughs> so. That was a canoe and Tyler <laughs> Douche canoe. I don't know. Anyway. Well, that seems the reasonable place to end then. <laughs> well, I was, I was going to, I would like to say that I, I uh, have more of myself in, in some of the more positive characters like Hank or Jesse, relatively speaking, but I'm probably You'd most like lying. Walt. Yeah do, yeah. You guys, yeah. do you guys agree with that? No, I'm probably most like Walt. I, I, I hate to admit it. I think that's, you know, why I get, why I, I don't know. Some of his more negative aspects are, uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, I don't know. Sometimes in the room we'll be talking about Walt and I'll catch myself almost saying Vince. Yeah. You know, we're talking about, then Vince, uh, no, Walt, Walt does this, yes. Oh, it is funny how often we transpose Walt and Hank. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're talking about one and we say the other guy's name. Mm-hmm. I don't know why that is. You think it'd be Walt and Jesse, but it's we never get those two confused. Hardly ever. It's always Walt and Hank. I don't know why that is. Uh, and is there anything that you guys are particularly looking forward to for this, these last eight episodes? Uh, you know, again, not specific plot points, but more whistle pig. <laughs> <laughs> when, when we're done and yeah. Vince busts out all the whistle pig that's in Whistle pig is a wonderful rye uh, whiskey that uh, I, I, I partake of. I've been known to partake of. <laughs> they're they're going to have to peel me out of these offices. There's, this is going to yeah, be. This is going to be. Wants to go. over. Mm-hmm. This is going to be sad when it's over. There's nothing I'm particularly... I don't mean this in my usual negative way. There's nothing I'm particularly looking forward to. And by that, in this strict sense, I mean that, uh, A, we're a little stuck right now, and B, I, you know, I'd, I'd be glib and say, I'm looking forward you know, to getting it all done, but I'm not. I'm not looking forward to it being over. I'm all going to be sad. This so. has been home for six years. Yeah. I mean, we are embedded here in our hive. <laughs> and... Um, I I have abandonment issues. I have separation anxiety already. I mm-hmm. none of us want this to end. I, I'm really looking forward to seeing Sam Catlin direct an episode. I'm, I'm That's really true. Excited. I'm excited <laughs> to see. I'm excited to see what that looks like. Peter's directing in that. the final eight again for okay. the second time, and then Sam is directing. He's going to br- pop his cherry there in the. Uh, oh, in the- wow! <laughs> yeah, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm stunned. Right there, right behind yeah. you. 
No, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm. That's what it's going to be today. like. Too. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, it's going to be great. Are you directing an episode that you're writing? Mm-hmm. Yes, right. I am. That's yeah. how we roll. Yeah, that yeah. seems to me. And like Tom, I can't wait to just slide on in uh, with the oh. with the. <laughs> <laughs> Keep going. I started. It. Keep it going. Uh, yeah. So we're ending. When did we stop? <laughs> uh, well, thank you guys. Congratulations on a, right. uh, a terrific season. You're a filthy, brilliant group. Um, and you know, let's let's chat next year. <laughs> Sounds good. Thank Sounds you. Great. Forever. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcast.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook. (coughs) 